everybody and welcome to the podcast. My name is Jared Bizadoff, the role of the ultimate survival guide for college success and how to become the most successful millennial in your organization. Today's guest joins us all the way from Canada. His name is Duncan McPherson. He's the CEO of Pareto Systems and he's the author of Breakthrough Business Development and the Advisor Playbook. Duncan's goal is to help people in the knowledge for profit industries achieve liberation in their business. Duncan, how are you? Great, Gerard. Thanks very much for having me on. Oh, Duncan, it's my pleasure. So why don't we start the show with telling us a little bit about yourself and what led you into this industry you're in today? Okay, that'd be great. So very much accidental, uh, I was in the space of promoting personal and professional development events. Uh, I was exposed to people like Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar and Brian Tracy. and I was promoting these events, and I loved attending them myself, but it was also part of my business model. But what was interesting is these events attracted uh, many very high-caliber knowledge-for-profit professionals. So people who think for a living, financial advisors, accountants, lawyers, consultants, and the like. And I became fascinated by that, you know, within that space and started studying it quite uh, thoroughly, uh, reading books like uh, Selling the Invisible by Harry Beckwith, uh, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, and many others. And I developed many friendships and started showing an interest in trying to help my friends who became clients in how to consistently attract new clients and run a better business that had high enterprise value. Uh, that goes back now about 25 years ago. And uh, today, this is my business. So I'm around the world speaking, presenting, consulting, and delivering solutions that help our clients unlock that next level of productivity. So talk me through what it means to advise these people and what it is exactly you do to help them? Well, a primary objective for me is to assist in competitor-proofing their clients and creating advocacy. And ultimately, from a business development perspective, advocacy is about not trying to convince a stranger to become a client working with an existing client who's already convinced and showing that person how to convince people for you on your behalf. That's advocacy. And along with that advocacy is to decommoditize. And decommoditizing essentially means insulating yourself from the forces that are at work that are emphasizing what you cost rather than what you're worth. So how someone does that is they elevate beyond their technical ability. Okay, so think about this. If you're a financial advisor, you're an accountant, or anybody else who thinks for a living, you have your core competency. And that's really, really critical, but it's a minimum requirement. It's a given that you're good at your core competency. The unmet needs, the, the, the areas of opportunity are in 
practice management and relationship management. So business development and enterprise value. And that's what we strive to assist our clients with. And I suppose over the last number of couple of years, it is understood that millennials will make up 50% of the workforce. So how can we relate this back to a millennial perspective and what can it do to help them with this demographic shift that's happening at the moment? Yeah, this is fascinating. Uh, there is a powerful force. Uh, in North America, it said, Gerard, that 10,000 people retire every day. Okay, a number of my clients uh-huh. who are, are looking down the road at the next three to five years thinking, okay, I need to transition and, you know, I need to exit and I need to monetize and get that right. But I want my clients to be in good hands because knowledge for profit professionals, undoubtedly, they have clients who have their own continuity and succession issues. So I'm seeing this happen in real time where our clients, are attracting millennials, and we'll call them protégés. And these protégés draft in behind the mentor who's built a business for 30 years. And there's this gradual handing of the torch to the protégé to not only secure the, the mentor's legacy, but ensure, to ensure that there's continuity and succession for the clients as well. And that is an incredible opportunity for a millennial. Uh, but, but again, what's really important, what will separate the best from the rest in this transition is not just relying on technical ability. Understanding how to make yourself indispensable to an enterprise. And not to oversimplify, because I know you want to go a little deeper into this, but The way a millennial makes himself or herself indispensable to an enterprise is to create a client experience that competitor-proofs clients and to create consistency in client acquisition through advocacy. That's what's going to separate the best from the rest right now. But when it comes to the succession plan that the entrepreneur has built up their business over the last 30 years, should there be some kind of a process or a guidebook that they leave behind in order for the millennial to follow? Well, this is absolutely key. This is the glue. Is the mentor, if, if everything he or she knows about the enterprise is in everyone's heads, it's not an intellectual property. It's a quality of skill and an intention. And... The, the, the bridge for transition from the mentor to the protege has to be a playbook, an intellectual property that documents the best practices so that nobody is left to their own devices as the transition occurs. And, and this was made crystal clear for me reading the e-myth by Michael Gerber where he talked about the difference between working in the business and working on the business. Working in the business is transacting. Okay, so using your core competency, your technical ability to provide value to a client. Working on the business 
is building intellectual property, building process. And the irony is, not only does that enable an enterprise to strengthen their organic business, this also enables, and we see this all the time, Gerard, where the protégés are running this business so incredibly well that they can now scale the business with that playbook and either attract other professionals to draft in behind them or to actually go out and buy businesses and achieve that multiplier uh, because they've got these best practices so well ingrained. Uh, is the best practice that, is this something that we learn through experience on the job or is this something that we can adapt relatively quickly? Yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a great question. It's a little bit of both. There's a rule called the rule of three. And the rule of three says anything you do day to day, three or more times, or has three or more steps, is a definable process that must be documented. If, you know, if you think about a classic firm, an enterprise, everybody's talented. Everybody knows what they're doing. But if those skills reside in their heads, it's not an intellectual property. If based on the rule of three, it's documented into the proprietary playbook, now it's a process. And here's what's fascinating. For our mm -hmm. clients that go through this transition, they can generally have about 80% of their playbook done in about 90 days. If they will document it in real time as they're executing and deploying that individual process. And that, that strengthens the business dramatically. It, it elevates the client experience for the existing clients and provides for that scalable growth uh, down the road. And so really, you know, we're talking about the, the technical skills and the day-to-day -day operational skills of the business. So let's say, for an example, I studied a degree in accounting and now I'm working in a firm and every day I'm using my commodity as an accountant. But I want more than that. So how do I break free from these commoditization of skills and achieve this liberation that we all crave and desire? Yeah, a great question as well. And, you know, you think about the commoditization. It exists, it exists in every business. I mean, Gerard, it astounds me. Uh, in North America, Blockbuster had an opportunity to buy Netflix. Oh, don't get me. Remember, oh. Netflix... This one is yeah, with me too. <laughs> Netflix used to. It, a lot of people don't remember this, but Netflix used to mail DVDs to people, and the the vision was to go onto a digital delivery platform. But they were struggling, and Blockbuster had an opportunity to buy them for a song. But Blockbuster convinced himself, "No, we've got this. We're fine." And next thing you know, that powerhouse of a firm is gone. And now look at Netflix today. That's commoditization. And you see this in every sector. You see AI, right? Artificial intelligence and robo-investing in the wealth management space. You see LegalZoom. You see you know, digital platforms, QuickBooks, and other delivery mechanisms in uh, the accounting space. Here's what's key. Okay, The one thing about artificial intelligence is it will always miss emotional intelligence the behavioral side of the relationship. And you think of wealth management, when volatility hits, 
when critical life events hit. It's the relationship that matters. Okay, so I can I can get a robo investor uh, platform to manage my money for you know thirty basis points, but I have no relationship of any meaning or significance. The point is how a millennial makes himself or herself indispensable is by zeroing in on strengthening relationships through best practices and achieving that consistent client acquisition. That's where the vein of gold is. And, and if you think of the Darwinian nature of what we're going through here, it's not about survival of the fittest. It's who can adapt and address those unmet needs. And that's a study. It's not just an innate ability to be good at relationships and good at practice management. It's a learned skill. So if somebody will allocate an hour a day, literally one hour a day, for the purposes of working on the business to strengthen best practices and strengthen relationships for advocacy, and they let that hour a day compound incrementally over time, they will become indispensable because they have mastered those uh, essential skills. I don't mean to oversimplify that, Gerard, but this is what we uh, empower our protege, our millennial clients. As they're drafting in behind a mentor, we tell them to zero in on this and complement their technical ability, and sure enough, they make themselves indispensable. So going back to Netflix and Blockbuster, that's an interesting point I want to explore a little bit. Because what? how do we recognize opportunities like that and to ensure that we don't miss out on those things? Is it a matter of myopic marketing well, or how does that happen? Well, Andy Grove uh, wrote an interesting book a while back. Um, he's the founder of Intel. And the book was called Only the Paranoid Survive. And the whole premise is that... Um, you, you have to have a combination of uh, optimism and a positive outlook for the future and some nagging doubts where you don't believe your own hype. And what happens is a lot of people drift into this pattern of inertia confidence, okay? So they have momentum, and uh, that safety net of momentum becomes a bit of a hammock that they rest on. They take their foot off the gas, and now they're not, they don't really have momentum. Now they're coasting, if you, if you get the analogy. Yeah, yeah, so of course, yeah. The premise is, you know, so the premise is to look down the road and just assume that, okay, commoditization, if you think of Moore's Law and how technology accelerates, commoditization will continue to accelerate. And the more technology creeps into our lives, the more the human touch matters. Okay? So, yes, we want to embrace technology, but there are a lot of people who, who are embracing technology to such a fault that they're painting themselves into a corner where they're on a collision course with obsolescence. They're, they're literally engineering their own obsolescence. So the key is, and this is what I tell them to say to my clients who are wealth managers, I say you're not just managing money. 
You're managing a business and you're managing people. And here's what's amazing about technical ability. Your technical ability is not proprietary. I can get it somewhere else. So if someone would just view that as a minimum requirement and say, okay, I've got the core competency, where are the gaps? And where, where are a lot of people not focusing? It's on enterprise value through best practices and it's through relationship management that leads to advocacy. You know, it's interesting, Gerard, I often talk about the concept of conversion. Every enterprise has a combination of three types of clients. There's customers, there's clients, and there's advocates. So customers dabble, they transact, but they don't empower the individual fully. They've got sort of a variety of sources who fulfill the needs. That's a customer. A client will empower someone fully, but they don't make introductions. The advocate is the dream client because the advocate understands and appreciates the uh, the, the provider's value to such a degree, they feel they're doing a friend or a family member a disservice by not making an introduction. They don't just endorse and say nice things. They go out of their way, they take action, and they make introductions. And that is engineered. So when I meet somebody, typically, and they tell me they have 200 clients, often what they have is 50 customers, 140 clients, and 10 advocates. What I want them to do is to convert as many of those relationships to advocates as possible. And imagine what would happen if you effectively had a, a client base of 50 advocates. That's like a sales force out there waving your flag, stirring the pot for you, making those introductions. And that's by design. It doesn't happen overnight. But that's, when, that's what makes the phone ring. The phone rings when somebody calls up and says, hey, a good friend of mine is your client. She's told me to call you. We can increase the frequency of that happening. That's how someone makes themselves indispensable by being that rainmaker, the, the goose that keeps laying those golden eggs of client acquisition. You can write your own ticket there. So would you say that this is really a shift from maybe salesmanship to maybe like a stewardsmanship type of mentality? Well, I, I, as you know, I love that whole mantra if you think about it, okay, so a salesperson asks you to buy something, a consultant asks you to buy into something. And what does that ultimately mean? Well, advocacy is rooted in trust. But what does an advocate actually trust? Well, what they trust, they have a trusting relationship with the people, the practice, and the process. Every knowledge for profit professional must take the abstract nature and commoditized nature of their value and make it conceptual and, pro and proprietary by embedding it into a process. And you, you need to get your clients to buy into that process. So they're not buying something, they're buying into the process. And they're buying into the practice and the client experience that's provided. And they have a trusting relationship with the people. When that occurs, the individual has now decommoditized themselves, so the relationship is not based on products, pricing, and performance. Performance of the, of the deliverable, pricing of the, the deliverable, and, and individual sort of solutions that are brokered by the, by the individual. That's a profound shift, and again, that is engineered. So in a sense, Duncan, what I 
get what you're saying is that instead of us going out looking for the leads to create new business, they're coming to us because of this excellence that we're pursuing. Well, exactly. I mean, I, I look at a client base as a vein of gold of untapped opportunity. And you know, if you think about referrals, introductions, it's one thing to want referrals, but at the end of the day, you have to deserve referrals. And if you look at the word deserve, it stems from the Latin words to serve. Client service, consistent, proactive, and reactive service makes you referable. Okay, because the number one thing that undermines referability is my lack of clarity in terms of understanding how referring a friend to you will ultimately come back to reflect on me. Unless and until I'm clear about that, it's going to undermine referability. But when I'm so clear about your value and your process and your client experience, I go out of my way to make an introduction. You've earned the right. And what's really important here, Gerard, back to your point about stewardship over salesmanship, Many people run around and tell uh, enterprise owners that they should be asking for referrals. And I, I think that's a fallacy. I don't want anyone to pitch the idea of a referral as a favor they're asking of a client. I want them to position the concept of an introduction as a service they're providing to the client. So that's, that's positioning, not pitching. And, and that must be communicated. But, you know, there's a fascinating book. Uh, it's very detailed. It's a little bit dry in areas, but it's so incredibly relevant today. The book is called The Millionaire Next Door. And The Millionaire Next Door was a, a book written by Tom Stanley that talks about first-generation earned money. So... This money was not inherited. It was created like alchemy. First-generation business owners. And these business owners, uh, they, they sacrifice, they, they are disciplined, they delay gratification to get to a, a, an inflection point of financial independence. And at the moment of financial independence, the burden shifts from Will I have enough to what becomes of my legacy? And this, because of demographic shifts all over the Western world primarily, this is where the opportunity exists. And if the millennial can come in and say, look, I will take the torch and your legacy and your clients are in good hands. In fact, I will elevate them by rejuvenating the relationship and injecting fresh energy into the relationship. Well, there's a multiplier there where one plus one equals three or more. And and that's just a profound opportunity that I'd like to see people capitalize on. And, and that whole premise and mindset of advocacy is at the very core of that. So in a sense, the, the road is mapped out for a lot of us if we want to read that roadmap and get to that higher destination. I couldn't agree more. Um, it's, it's very subtle. Yeah, but you know, but that's okay. Uh, I, it's I just, okay I, to be I, subtle. <laughs> well, the, the key here is in uh, understanding cause and effect. Uh, we're in an era where instant gratification is very 
very, very important. And the, the problem with something durable is it doesn't happen overnight. Uh, if you think of the analogy, the difference between the shooting star and the steady burner, the shooting star, it, it's very dramatic, but it's over very quickly. Yeah. The steady burner, it's, it's, it's sustainable. But you have to delay gratification and just keep your head down and outwork everybody and focus on the activity that leads to productivity. And somebody who can do that is going to emerge. It requires some restraint and some discipline and immense self-motivation. But that's when you're building something. You're not selling something. You're building something. And that's, yeah, that's got durability. Yeah, absolutely, Duncan. And that's actually something I talk about in my own book, is that when we delay this instant gratification, more than likely something better comes along down the line. And that brings me on to my next question, really, that say, for example, I'm working as a real estate agent or maybe it's an accountant. And in my job, I so happen to have a lot of client interaction. How do I build those client relationships so that I can turn those clients into advocates and that maybe that will lead to me getting promoted or maybe even managing the firm? Well, that's a pretty in-depth question there, and I don't want to gloss over it too much. Um, the, the key is in proactive and reactive service. So if I have a relationship, let's say I have sold something to a new client, I need to have an onboarding process that validates their decision and, and gives some energy to the relationship that they feel compelled to share. And then after that dust is settled from the onboard, you know, cause that's a huge moment of truth. So now I've got a new client, the dust has settled. Now I have to stay in touch with that client, not just react when there's an issue, but reach out and touch them with communication that shows them I'm interested in them and their, their satisfaction and their happiness and well-being. And one thing I do talk about at length in uh, both of those books that you referenced is the importance of a service model and a service matrix. I want everybody to understand that service in the classic sense is not service, it's business development, it's client competitor proofing, and it's create advocacy. And, and that's where some of that delayed gratification comes from. You know, so an example of that would be a quarterly call rotation, just a reach out, a phone call, touching base, checking in, uh, updates in the form of um, articles of interest, emails, um, birthday cards, simple things, but just showing that I'm interested in the relationship. So the premise is, uh, I'm not trying to be interesting. I'm interested in you. Okay. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to impress upon you that this relationship is important to me. And there's got to be consistency there. For many people, they dabble and it's spurty and it's not consistent and it fizzles out. If somebody has a mindset where they say that service is all conducive to advocacy and business development, then that's what cause and effect actually looks like. 
just to kind of finish up with the interview, Duncan, but I don't want to take up too much more of your time or anything like that. What are some of the key things, maybe five things that we could do as millennials to achieve this advancement in our career? I, I know we spoke a little bit about building relationships, but what are the key deliverables we need to deliver on? Jim Rohn, who um, I got to know, uh, this goes back many years ago, but he's written many books and there's all kinds of different resources. Uh, he, he had a, many great insights and one that really sticks with me is work harder on yourself than you do on anything else. Work harder on yourself. So personal and professional development. So if you think about core competency, think about how much time someone invests developing and refining the core competency, their technical ability. Well, I want them to work just as hard on understanding practice management and relationship management as well, because that's where a lot of people neglect their, their personal and professional development. So that would be important. And Jim Rohn also said, uh, the number one goal is not to see how much you can earn, it's who you can become. And if, if you think about the law of attraction, because that's a pretty popular immutable law that a lot of people are, are researching these days. The law of attraction says, you know, salespeople chase, consultants attract. And if you want to attract more attractive clients, you have to make yourself more attractive than your competitors. So if you think about a prospective client, if you're speaking to a prospective client, well, chances are they have a frame of reference. They have an existing service provider, and you want that prospective client to fire that existing provider. And you want that prospective client to compare and contrast you favorably to anybody else they're talking to as they go through the due diligence process. Well, there are specific things. You don't want to swim in a pool of sameness and look like everyone else. You want to differentiate and stand out from the pack. And that comes from personal and professional development. I would say that would be immense. So, uh, as Michael Gerber said, working on the business, not just in the business, that would include working on yourself and allocating time uh, to, to strengthen those skills. Maybe they should start with my book as well, hey? <laughs> well, I would love to uh, actually get into that myself because um, I think it's incredibly timely. And so so make sure that I uh, get access to that, okay, Gerard? Oh, absolutely. And awesome. I will definitely, on, on LinkedIn, I will definitely shine a light on that to my community. I've got a pretty substantial following. And incidentally, if any of your community are interested in belonging to uh, an environment uh, that shares best practices uh, on LinkedIn. Just look for me, Duncan McPherson. I should pop right up, and we put proven strategies from the field there pretty much every business day. So it's a great environment to be a part of. Well, absolutely. I'm going to be tagging you in the post when when this goes live, so they'll be able to connect with you through that also. But kind of just to finish up, then, Duncan, what do you have something like maybe a quote? or a mantra that, you know, maybe it could be related to business or maybe it could be related to personal development, Wh whatever it is at all, 
and one other thing I actually want to cover after this, but what what would be a mantra that has really resonated with you? Well, I guess my own personal philosophy is to um, have as much balance between ambition and contentment. So I aspire to a lot of things, but again, I was taught to be happy with what I have while I aspire to what I want. Uh, I've traveled around the world, and I think there are a lot of people who would probably kill for my worst day. And the humility and the appreciation, the gratitude that comes from, you know, not taking anything for granted. I think that puts a really positive energy out into the universe. And I think it is also contributing to the ambition. And, uh, you know, I, I read a book, Gerard... It was written in 1776, if you can believe that. Uh, Adam Smith is called Wealth of Nations. And in that book, among many things, he said, do no harm. And the essence is, achieve anything you want, but never at the, ex at the expense of someone else. Always through the service of someone else. And if, if that's the guiding principle, if that's true north, then, I mean, how high is high? You can accomplish anything you want if everything you're doing is accomplished through the service of someone else, never at the expense of anyone else, including yourself. So, uh, you know, just off the cuff, that, that's what jumps to mind for me. And, you know, that kind of leads me into this next point that I, I meant to cover earlier on the podcast, but it, we, we got so deep into the development uh, insights in there that it slipped the, my agenda. Talk about the time when you're at the Ritz Carlton and the service you received. <laughs> well, it's interesting because there's there's personal experiences that validate uh, a, a belief or a philosophy. So I speak at conferences quite regularly. Uh, I was at a conference. Uh, I was at Dana Point, California, beautiful facility. And I had the coveted after-lunch speaking slot. So I'll never forget, I was on at 1 o'clock. It was about 10 after 12, and I was on the patio on the phone with my wife. Uh, my wife still to this day cannot believe I get paid to talk. Uh, and that people would actually listen, but there it is. <laughs> so anyway, we're just talking, and I proceed to sit down on a windowsill and realized immediately that that windowsill had just been painted. Uh, in fact, the just painted sign, I looked down, it had blown off. It was on the floor, on the ground. I put my hand back behind me and looked at my hand. It was yellow, completely yellow. So I stood up and I could see my reflection in the window. I'm completely yellow on my back, on my coat and my pants. And I look at my watch. I'm on in about 45 minutes. I'm yellow. And my wife is laughing. She's like, loser. And I'm like, <laughs> I got to go. <laughs> so I think I'm, 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 I'm totally panicking. And then I realized I'm at a risk Carlton. So I said, this could actually be interesting. So I head downstairs to the store. And they, the store, they had um, all kinds of, you know, Tommy Bahama type clothing. And I walked in. I didn't even say a word. I just turned around. 
And they were like a tactical unit, like a SWAT team, you know, repelling from the ceiling. And immediately, they're on it. One lady took my jacket off. Within about five minutes, I'm wearing the mannequin's pants. Okay? And they're being hemmed on me as I'm wearing them. Gerard, I might have been out of there in probably 15 minutes. Um, I got a, uh, they gave me a tie, because I didn't have a tie on, but I didn't have a coat. They took my coat, and they took my pants off. I walk out of there with a tie and a new pair of pants. I'm ready to go. I do my presentation. Uh, it went well, and I went back down to collect my grubby clothes. Within the time I was speaking, they had my clothes perfectly cleaned and pressed and in a travel bag and apologizing to me profusely. And I said to myself, I even said to them, I said, you guys are incredible. I mean, that could have been a really bad experience, and you turned it around so completely, fully and completely. I'm now an advocate for Rich Carlton. They deserve my advocacy. And here I am telling this story many years later. Uh, what could have been really bad turned out to be really good. And that brings me back to the point that proactive and reactive service during moments of truth that are either positive or negative can can create advocacy in a relationship. So I appreciate you giving me the, uh, the nudge and the opportunity to tell that story because it, it really happened. And uh, still to this day, I have very, very good feelings about Rich Carlton. And it's one of my favorite stories. I, I laugh every time I hear it. <laughs> And you, yeah, she's talking to my wife sometimes. She laughs, but it's got a different tone. <laughs> okay, everybody, thanks for listening. That was this week's guest, Duncan McPherson. Please, everybody, connect with Duncan on LinkedIn. And be sure to check out some of his books. They are filled with valuable insights that will excel your business or whatever it is you need to work on within that business. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>